0: incredibly successful real estate guy. and But unlike a lot of my multifamily guests, he is in a just a glowing, brilliant spot of the marketplace right now. He is in triple net retail, amazing track record. And most exciting, he is now on his own shingle. He is a repeat guest, I want to say, which means we had a great conversation the first time. He is the founder of what is now Rooster Equity. He is back on Street Smart Success. Ben Kogut. Ben, welcome back to Street Smart Success. Thank
1: you, Roger. What an intro. I am honored <laughs> to be here and can't wait to
0: dive into it. Okay. The first question is this. This is this is the hardball question. I mean, I don't know if you're, Ben, I don't know if you're going to hand, be able to handle this one, but are you ready? What's the timing of what you're doing? What, why now? Why hang in your own shingle? And tell us all about that, because I'm sure it was not a impulsive decision.
1: Yeah, great question. I, for the last five years, was in charge of raising capital for a firm that was laser focused on buying triple net commercial real estate. Typically, these deals are anchored by high credit tenants with long-term leases, Buying them for you know better than a nine cap and just building this half a billion dollar passive income triple net portfolio, it's been fantastic. When the market shifted, higher interest rates, banks kind of freezing up, less you know liquidity in the market. I said, you know what? I I see opportunity. I see uh, potential uh, motivation in the market. My former, well, my business partner, he, he wanted to go, he wanted to stay in the path. And I was like, you know what? It's time to move with the market. And so I've always wanted to start my own company. And, you know, there's no better time than the present. So I I jumped out and uh, started Rooster Equity. And when was that? So basically, at the end of uh, 2022, I said, you know what? It's time to move on. And I knew I was going to work my tush off when I launched the company. And so I gave myself permission to take a seven-month sabbatical. Oh, right on. And so, the first seven months of 2023, I was uh, traveling and and learning and praying and visualizing exactly what I wanted to create. And so, you know, that's that's really what I was focusing on. And then, uh, right. So we're in December of 2023. So around. Okay. So this is kind of interesting. So in May. I had a very spiritual experience. And I know this is, you know, mostly a real said conversation, but you know, I'm not, I am, I'm Jewish and and I'm proud to be Jewish, but I, I don't really consider myself like a religious guy. But I was in New York City for my 41st birthday in May. And I was trying to lean more into my spirituality. And so I went to this place called the Ohel which is where the, the famous, like most popular rabbi of our time is buried. Have you heard of this place? No. It, no, I haven't. No. Is, it, is it in Brooklyn? Not in Brooklyn. It's uh, near JFK. It's like uh, our, so Queens. Queens. Queens, Queens, Queens. Yeah, thank you. So I went out there and what you see people doing is they, they're sitting around writing, writing, write, basically writing a letter as if you're writing it to the rabbi. And so I started writing. I started writing for, you know, first and foremost, like health and happiness for friends and like naming people. And and then I started really focusing and praying for my business and figuring out, okay, what I wanted to do and all that kind of stuff. And I really had a, a spiritual epiphany, which sounds, I don't know what it sounds like, but it was my truth. And uh, at that point is when I said, okay, the over. Let's get to work. And so it's, and then from that perspective, this also, I don't know what this sounds like, but I do feel like I have, you know, God in my behind me as I move forward towards this journey of making something happen. And that takes away all the fear, you know, like starting a business, starting a company is scary. And so I realized that, you know, if I have that spiritual, spirituality behind me, it really you know, and you, and you believe that like everything happens for a reason the way I believe, then there's really nothing to, to be afraid of. Does that make sense? Of course it
0: does. Are you kidding me? Dude, <laughs> dude I'm, I'm here in the land. I'm in, I'm in Northern California. I'm in the land of fruits and nuts, man. I mean, I trust <laughs> me, I, I, I get it. No, no, no. I, I'm, the, I'm the first guy to understand what you're talking about. But here's, here's my question. What was the spiritual epiphany exactly? Yeah, I mean it's still a journey, but
1: basically the idea that yeah, I've been helping, I've helped a few hundred investors learn about triple net commercial real estate, the financial freedom that comes from that, the ability to make enough money so that you can ultimately give it away, which is what I'm trying to do through just charity and Sadaka, whatever you want to call it. And I realized that I have a gift. I love teaching people about this niche. And I figured, you know, I've learned so much along the way. I've personally invested in like 45 deals. And so I wanted to visualize and create a educational platform, an investor club. I wrote a book, you know, just started you know, creating content, doing these podcasts and just sort of sharing the wisdom and the lessons that I've learned along the way. So that I can help other people, you know, fulfill on, on whatever their personal missions are. And so that that was really
0: what I got really clear about. Which Rebbe was this, by the way? This is um, Schneerson. Nachman. Yeah. Was the last name Schneerson? Schneerson. Was it
1: Schneerson? Nachman? <laughs> you caught me off guard there. Um, Maybe,
0: I think it's Nachman. No Rebbe. Na, I, I think Nachman was his first name.
1: And oh, okay, I think I, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know if he if he were born if if the guy would have been born today, his name would be Ben Kogut. you know what I mean oh. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be She Sherman Schier- well, no, or whatever that, that. but uh, <laughs> but you, you know, know, know something j- like that might it would be James Goldberg, you know whatever it, it wouldn't be you know whatever the heck it was anyway so well, okay. you
1: know a lot of wisdom there and and <laughs> you know Passing on the wisdom is really what what it's all about.
0: All right, I got it. Okay, and so I did see a number of deals cross my path or cross my email specifically since you and I last spoke, and it looked like a lot of single tenant retail. And and I guess before I even asked, that is, you said that you know the 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 kind of the jumping off point was that there's been a move in the market, and so. What's that move in the market and what's the opportunity around that that you said this is time to do this? What is it?
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's get the obvious out of the way. Obviously interest rates rising and that eats into the cash flow that was available with a lot of these triple net properties. And so you dig in a little bit deeper and you still see that there are triple net properties that still the unit economics still makes sense. So, what I mean by that is you know these these tenants are selling enough widgets to be able to be profitable, be able to pay the rent, and you know trickle down to have cash flow available to passive investors, which is what I focus on so that, that's one the, the other side of it here's here's the other opportunity is on the lending side. you know many of the banks are they they froze they're not doing deals, they're starting to thaw. But uh, I've seen some, some opportunities to get into the private lending side. And I have a lot of friends who are originating loans, meds debts, first lien positions, all sorts of creative financing. And so I was talking to them and they said, Hey, I got these deals and deal flow. I just either they don't have time or they don't have the, the network to, to raise the capital. And so I you know, have that network. I've been doing it for years. And uh, I have a lot of friends who are looking for places to place their capital. And so I wanted to create a a way for people to uh, join the investor club, get access to a variety of different types of deals, both from the mostly around triple net. So on the equity side, as well as on the debt side, and then basically uh, created a a customizable fund to be able to allow people to pick and choose specific deals that they want to get involved in. And, and hence, that, that's what Rooster Equity is about.
0: So I'm a guy that maybe I'm gonna, I wanna go out and acquire a, a Starbucks in, in Fort Worth, but a bank's not gonna lend, maybe that's not a great example, but let's just stick with it. But I can't, so I'm gonna, you're gonna lend me the money.
1: Yes, so yeah, so we, we, can, we can do that. I'll, I'll give you a specific example. So right now I'm working on a deal, Chipotle as an example. Chipotle is going to sign a 15-year triple net lease. So our we'll partner will uh, go build them a building. And so it gives investors like yourself the opportunity to invest and own a piece of a Chipotle credit, long-term lease deal, going to be passive income almost immediately. I mean, it's going to take some time to get it. Once it's up and running, then it's just like, We can hold it, cash flow it. We can sell it, make a profit. Well, it'll probably be a blend of the two. We'll probably cash flow it for a little while, and then and then flip it, depending on where we're at in the market. But yeah, just just another example of you know someone that may want to put 100 or 200k or 500k or whatever it is and own a piece of a Chipotle deal that otherwise you have to be able to put together. I mean, these deals are worth you know three and a half to four million dollars. And most individual investors don't
0: have that type of access to capital. And so and so that's not a debt. That's not debt. That's equity, what you just described, correct? That's an example of equity.
1: Okay, so let's talk about debt. So another deal I'm working on as an example is a chain of schools slash daycares. They build themselves their own buildings and they're a strong company. They sign a 15-year lease. And once they've built their buildings, they want to continue to, to own it, but they need to pull some equity off of the capital stack because they need that equity to, for some other reason, usually to go and build other buildings. And so the PREF equity, which is it's technically equity, but it looks and feels like debt will come in, will buy out a portion or a large chunk of the equity in the project. They will continue to maintain. So there's a first lane on there. So they'll maintain and guarantee the debt. We're going to come in, we're going to buy out their equity. They're going to, the deal's already cash flowing. So we're going to receive cash flow, really, really attracted, strong cash flow on day one. That's the passive income part. We're going to be secured by shares of equity in the project as well as a personal guarantee. And we're going to be, you know, in place for somewhere between probably 6 to 18 months with a 12 months of minimum interest. And yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's just another example of like more on the lending side of what I'm working on.
0: And what do they, so for 12 months, what do they pay? It's going to be somewhere between 15 to 20%. Got it. And how much goes to your investors in that deal? And if that's too granular or whatever. Yeah, that's let's fine. Uh,
1: let's just table that one. I mean, join my investor club. We'll get into more of those details. You know, okay. that kind of thing. BrewsterEquity.com, I'll throw that out there and you can see
0: all these types of deals. All right. I'll be the first one to do that after this podcast. I I want to be included because it sounds exciting. Is it all single tenant or do you do, you know, do you ever do Small strips or two tenant or this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, definitely open to multi-tenant. It's a great way to diversify most of my experiences in multi-tenant. I'm starting to see just similar to what we're seeing in the multi-family space where the assets still are fundamentally strong. It's just they might have placed the wrong debt. In other words, it's the debt situation has made put a lot of pressure on the on the ownership structure. And so we're seeing opportunities like that as well in retail. It's not as prolific as what's happening in multifamily because we were able to, you know, we see a lot of more uh, 10 year fixed. And so versus a lot of multifamily was just super low cap rates and adjustable mortgages. And so I do see that there are going to be opportunities to scoop up and steal some multi-tenant shopping centers. I think medical, I still think that's a great asset class. There's another asset class which is, I don't know if you've dabbled in cold storage, which is you know quasi industrial. It's basically just a big industrial building that's frozen inside and has triple net leases. Great, great castle on that huge demand in that. I mean, we've seen throughout the pandemic a lot more uh, food companies out there needing places to uh, store their products. And so that has, I mean, the numbers on those deals are pretty meaningful. So yeah, those are uh, a few more examples of things I'm working on.
0: This is just me going by memory from when you and I last spoke, which has been a couple of years, which Mm -hmm. that in and of itself is amazing to me. But what you guys did in that, in your partnership, previous partnership, I think it was just a lot of like, you know, very fundamental old school but really effective strategy around acquisitions, meaning it was just a lot of, I think, phone bank, mailer kind of stuff, maybe not, but you were just reaching out to a zillion landlords and you'd eventually just get a great deal the old fashioned way, but it worked. So I guess my question is, will that, A, will that be similar to the acquisition strategy moving on and then part B, is it even in the last couple of years, retail has gotten a lot more in favor as other assets have gotten out of favor? So that's like a two part question. What's the acquisition environment like?
1: Yeah. So I'll recap how we were doing it and how I'm sort of modifying it a little bit. So the, the secret sauce for buying, you know, half a billion dollars with the real estate was. Being very specific about what we were looking for, which was the, the triple net assets and basically looking, we had an analyst looking at, you know, a thousand deals a week, of which maybe somewhere between one and three deals would fit in our criteria. So we would make just a lot of basically make a lot of lowball offers. That's that's really what the the secret sauce is. And when we make the offers, typically we don't send a letter of intent, we'll send a purchase contract. Preemptively send a list of references as well as qualifications, and then uh, we'll promise the uh, the seller that usually it's within two weeks, more or less. Uh, we'll personally visit the property and uh, not you know not waste anybody's time. And so that won us a lot of deals. We were typically also the and the last and final tip that I would give somebody is be the first offer. So if something comes on the market. Make that offer psychologically, and I don't I'm not a psychologist. So I don't know why, but that has yielded tremendous results being the first one in the door. And so I highly recommend, yeah, you know, make that offer, make it low. You're gonna get countered usually. We're almost never the the top monetarily, but uh, you know we move fast through making the contract, we slow down intentionally during the due diligence. You don't want to rush that. But yeah, so we would you know, look at a 1,000 deals, three of them fit in our box We make three offers a week. One out of, actually it was more than that. We would make like 15 to 20 offers a week. About one to three of them, we'd be able to put under contract. And about one out of three of those would pass our due diligence. So basically creating a funnel. So that was, that was the old school way of doing it. One slight modification that I'm working on is some proprietary AI tools. That I'm going to be using to help expedite this process and hopefully make it more efficient. It's still uh, it's still a work in progress, but I think uh, the secret's out about AI and and I definitely, as someone that wants to uh, leverage that technology as best as I can, and I think, you know, I think that we can do it with with acquisitions. I think we're not there yet, but I think ultimately we can do it with due diligence. I think we can do it with drafting contracts. And I think there's, I mean, this is not. I don't want to go too deep into the AI uh, rabbit hole, but you know, for anyone that's listening, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that AI is about to change, really revolutionize the world and our industry. And and trying to, uh, I'm not necessarily a pioneer, but I'm I'm a very, I'm trying to be an early doctor, and so that's what we're doing.
0: What What is the communication? So you've got, you're you're able, you you have got a criterion. It's not too Hard to find a list of people that fit that criterion. What is the first communication to that owner? You mean someone that we're trying to
1: buy their property? Yeah. What's well, the first communication? First contract. I mean, I mean, you know, there's a conversation. If they're open to receiving an offer, we'll make them an offer. And okay. you, it's, I'd say half the time there's a broker involved, half the time it's just direct.
0: Okay. In the scenario where it's direct, I'm asking like really simple stuff here. Is it a phone call? Is it is it an email? Is it, like how do they first hear from? How do they first get contacted from you? Yeah, I've I've
1: definitely called people if I have their contact info. Definitely shot emails. I've definitely in the past sent letters. I haven't done too many letters, but to be honest, one of my strategies with Rooster Equity is to use sales mail as a big part of my strategy. Both from the acquisition side, but actually more importantly, from the investor side. And so I'm, I'm building out my, my database right now so that I could start using snail mail as a marketing strategy. I'm, you know, using my book. I'm mailing that out, which by the way, I'd love to send to you as well. So after this, I'll get your, uh, your, your snail mail address. And yeah, you know, I, I just think that email is so saturated and, you know, phone calls are fine. But, you know, if I can, you know, a lot, a big part of what I'm doing at Groups Equity is, is education. So I'm creating educational content that I can send out to people and let them
0: absorb it however they choose. In terms of starting out, like you said, it's scary, you know, way, way back, it, you know, many, many, many years ago. I, yours truly started a business and, you know, it was me for a long time, just me. Is it you with some you know VAs or you know starting at the old-fashioned way? How does that what does that look like? Yes, so
1: definitely a lot of VAs, third party. So I hired this uh, company that's doing all my branding and marketing. They created my website and all the social media and, and the drip campaign and all that kind of stuff. I have another company that uh, created the fund and they handle all of my you know uh, investor relations, like all the software that's related to that. And taxes and accounting, so that's that's all bundled together. And then virtual assistants that kind of fill in the gaps. So right now, yes, I guess the solopreneur, if you want to call it that. And yeah, I'm curious for you. Let me flip it on you. Like, what what advice would you have to someone like myself who's a solopreneur? And
0: what were the lessons that you learned as a uh, as a business uh, founder? <laughs> Different businesses. I was in the advertising business. And I had no idea, and I was in my twenties. I had no clue what I was doing. So it's just different. It was, it was different. You know, it was a different business altogether. I don't even know if I could have any advice. You're, you're, you're a trillion miles ahead of where I was when I started my business. I don't, I don't think any, I could give you any advice that, that would be of useful to you or to my listeners and it wouldn't, wouldn't bore everybody to boot. So, you know, with your prior engagement, what were whole it seems like you guys did a lot of flipping and so uh, you know flipping like short term hold kind of stuff like year a couple of years or what have you as opposed to ten year kind of thing, and I'm just wondering a is that accurate and b if it is will you know what will you got what will you do along those lines, or will it just be case by case you know how, what what do you envision for that old time yeah
1: there, there wasn't as much flipping as as as, as it sounds. The mentality really is to to have a long term hold with these deals that are cash flowing on day one. I think that a lot of people are looking for is for that consistent monthly passive income. And sometimes, every once in a while, you get a ten thirty one buyer, or somebody that really really wants to buy that. And sure, yeah, if we're you know we'll sell it. But my mentality when I'm as I'm starting real equity is as uh, a twenty year mentality. So I'm not necessarily going to hold properties for 20 years but I'm looking to build a foundation of uh, investments that uh, will allow us to you know continue to benefit from you know what always happened, which is property you know there's always dips but properties and real estate will continue to appreciate in value and you know I think a flip mentality is it's just not what I'm trying to do I'm not trying to just get in and get out I mean I I, I want uh, stability and to protect the investors' capital by making sure we get into fundamentally sound real estate projects that we can just own for a long time. And the funny thing is, Roger, like you know, once we sell something, and I didn't, I didn't really know this until it started happening. But people kind of get upset when you sell something because they're like, "Hey, that was you know, this is great. Let's just continue to own it." And so it's 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 a little bit of an interesting. You know when that happens, when someone's like, I, you know, I, they just want to hold, and so that's, that those are kind of the investors that I like to work with. If someone's looking to make a quick buck, I'm not necessarily
0: your guy. By the way, I have an answer to your prior question that I couldn't answer. Okay, okay here's what it. Yeah, here's what it is. It's not going to be new to you, but to be as absolutely focused and refined in what you do to the point where you do like just one thing. Makes you an animal. One one of the the early on podcasts I did was a guy. All he did was like hundred thousand square foot grocery anchored retail within two miles of San Francisco, and that's yeah. all he did. It makes you incredibly formidable. It's a hard thing to do, and especially when you're starting out, because when you're starting out, you want to do deals, and you kind of have to do deals and all that. But yeah, just more focus, riches, and niches. Well there you go. What does it showed up yeah. again? This is uh, yeah, Gary right. Keller book I'm holding. I'm called The One Thing:
1: The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results of Just Being Focused. And so I uh, my you know my one thing is uh, raising capital and educating investors about triple-net commercial real estate. And so that's uh, that's what I'm doing.
0: There you go. So you you you've you've already figured it out. What's it like right now and you alluded to it at the top and it's intuitive and predictable, but I ask it anyway. And that is this with the interest rates having gone up, and especially in triple net, cap rates there may be a, they may have gone up a little bit, but not in commensurate. So do people just have to get get okay with like smaller returns and just just live with it the way it is? Not necessarily. We're still getting strong returns. I mean the the numbers have shifted
1: but we're able to still find very competitive, attractive returns. So it's different. Interest rates have eaten into the returns, but that's why. And also, by the way, th- things are risk adjusted. So just because you know it's a high return or a low return, like it, you got to kind of ask more questions besides what is just the return and, and know thyself. You know, how much risk are you looking to take? And so I, you know, it's more than just. What is uh, your return going to be, and what is your cash and cash? What is your IR? So yeah, it's it's more comprehensive
0: than that, but um, yeah, as a long term, it's more, nu- it's more investor, nuanced, more nuanced, nuanced, more variables. Yeah. Correct, yeah, correct. I understand, but yet I'm I'm still a caveman and still look at those things, you know, just as a lack as a lack of my own experience and and uh, you know, therefore. Immaturity as an investor. And so that's about all I really understand. Wow, man. So very, very exciting. And I guess I'll ask a really like very cliched question. Here's the cliche question Where are you five years from now? Love that question. Five years from now, I
1: have a investor club of probably somewhere between a thousand and two thousand people. Who are excited, they're educated, they're looking, they're excited about the opportunities that I'm providing to them. I have more sponsors and deal flow people hitting me up looking for access to those investors. So that side of the business is just really, really thriving. And, you know, hopefully, uh, a personal note married with kids and, you know, still in Austin. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, hopefully the commercial real estate market is uh, you know, still strong. And there's always opportunities in, in upside and down. So I'm not really concerned about that. And hopefully uh, we'll do a couple more podcasts. I see.
0: And you know, for what, that matter, Roger. We, we got to do a deal together. I know we do. We do have to do a deal. If you have a minute after we're done, we'll talk. But we will talk. You know, you just said something that that like was the most obvious thing that I didn't ask. And now I realize it because I'm like so like. Have not had coffee yet this morning. So you're capital so you're not you're not going to be an operator, you're finding other sponsors. So it's a,
1: it's a blend of both. I see opportunities on both. but yeah, right now I am well, the couple of deals I mentioned I'm originating those myself, but yeah, a big part of my strategy to be able to scale is to partner with groups that i have vetted that have deals at deal flow and therefore they can you know I could basically help them access my investor club through Rooster Equity Fund and that's, that's, that's how this will work. That's how I'm going to scale this. And that way I don't necessarily have to wor- worry about the day-to-day and you know, I can have experience, people that have a lot more experience or doing whatever they're doing. And therefore, my one thing will be the raising the capital and the educational part of it and basically helping people get access to deals that are private deals that they wouldn't be able to have access on their own.
0: Okay. Give us the recap of how one gets a hold of you. How they get your book? If there's a, a an attractive, available single woman out there, unmarried, you know, how, how do they get a hold of you? So roosterequity.com.
1: Why rooster? Well, my last name is Kogut, K-O-G-U-T. Kogut, thanks to my Polish ancestors, means rooster. And so that is why I called the company Rooster Equity. And then I started digging into the symbolism of roosters and, you know, all the, you know, nest egg and early rising and, you know, all those kind of wonderful metaphors that we could play with along the way. And then also like just about every society and culture has a rooster in their. In their culture. And so generally, it is very positive across the board. And so I thought that would be fun. And then, lastly, chatting with a uh, patent attorney, a trademark attorney, and he's like, look, you know, everyone is this rock or this tree or whatever. And like, no one's doing the rooster thing. So I, I thought that would be fun. So, and then, uh, you know, so that, that's more of the story. So the book, you can access my book, roosterequity.com, my investor club roosterequity.com and I'm on all the social media stuff uh, at Ben Kogits and looking forward to connecting with uh, further with you
0: and with all of your listeners and you know doing the things. Hang tight and uh, I want to do this a year from now, but we'll uh, put a bow on this in a minute after we stop recording. I just us after all, and so that's what we'll do. Gotcha. So until the next you as well, until the next podcast, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks everybody.